the note that we put in the bulletin about Miss Mary McNeil, um, missionary of a former time, I did get to meet her years ago before the Lord took her home, uh, served as a nurse there in Kenya. She did write a book, Lord Give, Give Me This Mountain. It's about her and this other uh, single lady nurse who uh, um, really pioneered a work out in, in the, uh, the Katui district of Kenya. If you would like a copy of the book, let me know today, and I'll bring it next week. We have a lot of them, uh, paperbacks, but they're, it's a thick paperback. And if you enjoy um, adventure, uh, reality of what they did in, in those years, single ladies in, in uh, the early 19, mid-1930s, uh, uh, and then she came back and came under the board in 1940, um, in Kenya. It's, it's an adventure. So let me know later on, if you would, please. Let's pray. Father, we offer up uh, this portion of our worship, as all of this is worship today, all of uh, what we present unto you, our presence here, our singing, the giving of our tithes and offerings, um, the reading of the word, the explanation of the word. This is all our worship. And so we commit it to you. And yet when we handle your word, we pray that we'll give it an extra heart's attention as it is indeed the word of God, not the word of man. We pray for your spirit to give us clarity in our ears and in our hearts and bring the truth and the reality of this your word to our, uh, our hands and our feet, our whole beings, our lives, that uh, we indeed would be uh, more useful, more productive servants of the Most High God. Uh, we pray for your forgiveness of our sins, those things that so easily distract us and keep us from honoring you, and pray that all that we say and do will be honoring and glorifying in Christ's name. Amen. Again, as no surprise, James chapter 1. Hope your Bibles would automatically open there. But we are making advancements. And no, this is not the end of chapter 1. Follow along, please. I'll be reading verses 22 through 27. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. For if any among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion, and undefiled before God, and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless, the widows, in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pray our God to honor his word in our hearts today. I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, the little devotional, Our Daily Bread. Um, it's been around, it seems like, for ages. 
I have it online and, and other, other things. I remember when I was in the Navy, not as a believer, but my mom used to send me uh, copies of it with her letters and so forth, and she would underline and highlight stuff, you know, thinking that that would, you know, be something. And I found it interesting because they often use illustrations in that, but spiritually speaking, I had no idea what was really going on. A number of years ago, there was a story about a man who grew up in New York City and died at the age of 63. Uh, interestingly enough, the article said that um, he died without ever working a single job. And no, he wasn't a politician. You know. Apparently, he spent his whole adult life in college, earning a number of degrees, but never putting them into practice. It all started, apparently, from a relative, a distant relative, who had a trust fund in his name, and when this man passed away, the trust fund was given to him, and he could receive money as long as he was in school. And so, indeed, the trust fund continued and kept him in school indefinitely, and this technicality gave him a steady income. And I think something the benefactor probably never really intended for that to happen. Unfortunately, he spended, spent thousands of hours listening to professors and reading books, and yet the reality was he never did anything with what he learned. He acquired more and more knowledge, but never put it into practice. Sad to say, brethren, that there are far too many people who spend their lives attending churches, listening to sermons, listening to radio Christian broadcasting, uh, playing Christian music, and yet spending very little time, if any, applying the Word of God in their life. A very similar situation. And I'm not talking about testing congregants after a service and say, all right, there's a test on what the sermon was about today, or last week, or whatever, or what did you do with it? I'm really speaking about the reality of taking what we learn, what we've heard, what we've digested, and applying it. Our text begins today with a very simple but profound command by James. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In a secular world in which we live, I think this is practiced daily, although we don't think about it. You get a driver's license, and you learn the rules of the highway, and you pass that test, and yet if you go out driving like Jehu, familiar with that? Old Testament character, drove his chariot furiously, you know, I think you will end up with some hefty citations or worse. You receive a detailed report from your physician saying that you need to take a certain prescription and you agree with him. You've heard all of the details of why this prescription will help and you go to the pharmacy and you pick it up and you bring it home, you put it on your desk and you leave it there and don't touch it for weeks to come. I think you know that the results of what will probably happen. The principle is a spiritual lesson, really f spoken of in various terms throughout the Bible. Old Testament, there are some interesting relationships that God explains to the children of Israel through Moses. And it came to pass, writes Moses, 
If ye shall hearken, meaning listen carefully, hearken diligently, really listen unto my commands, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then that I will give you. So God's command on one side says, if you listen, not only just listen, but you have to obey it, to love me with all your heart and soul. And he says, then I will give you, and the, and the list goes on of what he's going to provide for Israel. A few verses later, he says, take heed to yourself that your heart be not deceived. Interesting word there. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, and then the Lord's wrath will be kindled against you. So you hear it. They all heard it. Moses says, this is what God has said whether Ten Commandments or long after that, he says, if you obey, I will. And if you don't obey, you know the results. I don't know how many times they received the clear and distinct commands of God. The children of Israel were uh, not short in that, yet many, many times they obeyed them not. If you know your New Testament parables, you'll recall one that Jesus gave, very simple one, one that uh, children learn uh, in, in song and in signalings about the wise man and the foolish man. You know, the wise man builds his house upon the rock, you know, foolish man builds his house upon the sand, you know. Remember that one? And, and it ends up that the wise man builds that house upon the rock and the storms come and, and the house stands firm because it's built upon Christ. The foolish man builds his house on the sand and the storms come and the kid's like, and the house on the sand goes splat, you know, and such is life. Now, Jesus introduces those two characters by saying, therefore, whoso heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, he equates that to the wise man who hears and does, who listens, who receives and applies then he says, you're a wise man. And then later Jesus says, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, splat. Jesus refers to that person as the foolish person. Foolish, foolhearted, not understanding the truth of what happens. You know, brethren, it's not a difficult lesson, is it? If you hear and you do what you obey, then there's profit. If you hear, you understand, but you don't do it, there's loss. And then again, that's a principle in life, but especially spiritually speaking. However, James doesn't reference Jesus, but he gives his own illustration. Again, look in your Bibles at 23 and 24 of chapter 1, where he speaks of a man who hears but does not apply what he hears. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Why do you look in a mirror? Why do we look in a mirror? You ever think of that? It's every part of the house. I remember one time going to Kenya, and we were out with the missionary, and he'd been there for many years, and, 
And it came time in the morning, and we were going to shave, and there was no mirror. Did you ever try, men, you ever try to shave without a mirror? You know? I mean, it's really, when you're, you're obviously, some of you have not, you know? <laughs> you know? But, but we're so used to seeing and acting and reacting as what we see, as James refers to, as a glass. You know? And, and in reality, it's something, for the most part, that we say, at least in my own experience, uh, I look, I accomplish what I need to look, and the moment I turn away, I forget it, because I don't have to remember it. The only purpose for looking in the mirror was to adjust, uh, to prepare, to do whatever, because I want to be able to see what other people see, how they will value or evaluate me, how they will take, and, 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 and that's what we do. We primped and we prompt, and, and, and then we're done with it. So it is with God's word. Again, it's not how much I can regurgitate from last week's sermon, what I heard in my ears, but how I take truth and apply it. In this particular case, it is not applied because I drop it as soon as I walk away from it. For example, a few years ago, the Barna Research poll found that one out of three born-again Christians, and this is their definition of a born-again Christian. Those who report to have made a personal commitment to Christ and expect to go to heaven because they've accepted Jesus. Across the board, that sounds very legitimate. One out of three of these born-again Christians accepts same-sex unions. Accepts it. 39% of these people believe that it is morally acceptable for couples to live together before marriage. And they look, and I'm not judging, and I'm not valuing. I don't know the hearts of these born-again Christians. But it would seem to me that they are presuming that what God clearly states in his word about, in this case, same-sex unions or living together before wedlock, in a relationship that should only be for marriage, <clears throat> that they think that God has maybe given some liberty, you know, beyond what his word says. <clears throat> Here's the word of God, and, and today, because we've evolved in such a state, I think God has given us some more grace and more liberty to go against or to adjust what he clearly has stated in his word. Or that they simply have personal feelings on the matter that override the clear directives of right or wrong. When I go against God's word and I'm hurt by it, rather than change and repent of it, I just kind of move it out of the way or clip it out of my Bible or pass it over or whatever. And I'm not saying I know these people, but it would seem that that is a particular case. James tells that these people are ones who are deceiving their own selves. Do you ever think where that principle of deception began? You have to go way back in the beginning, first book of your Bible, and we find Adam and Eve in an introductory verse to this. Hath God said? Adam and Eve had heard. They walked with the Lord in the cool of the morning. And then all of a sudden, Satan comes to them and says, let's uh, think about this again. Let's reconsider what God said, okay? 
Did God really say that? Is that really what his intention was? Is that what he meant? Is that how you understand it? Both Adam and Eve had heard the words of God himself, and later the deceiver deceived in them doubt. God really didn't mean what he said. Hence, they don't have to obey to the particular obvious answer that they were. In this case, they were hearers of the word, but not doers. And you know the results. Ultimately, our true submission to God and his word is not demonstrated by the amount of time we spend listening, receiving, taking in the truth of God, but by the degree to which we live in obedience to it. Now, we come to the place where James gives us a second illustration, uh, the flip side of the same coin, as it were, to help us understand this relationship between God and his word. In verse 25, but, okay, the first side of the coin was looking in the mirror, uh, taking it in, and then forgetting what it was, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Jesus said the other man was a foolish man. Jesus says this man is a wise man. It's a very descriptive picture. He says the one who looks in, you remember when uh, morning after, at the morning of the resurrection, and and uh, John and Peter they got word, you need to go to the tomb. And John's the young man, sprints over, and Peter, the older man, kind of lagging behind. And, and the scripture talks about them nearing the tomb, and John being the younger, although he could run faster, probably a little more timid, and it says he bends over and he looks in. Peter comes up later on, just goes right on in. But John, he looks in to see if the body of Christ is there. He looks with an intent to gather information, to find out, is Jesus dead or is he alive? To, to grasp it all, because it is the key to Christianity. And so he bends over and he looks in and he says, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. When I look into the law, when I look into the word of God, I just don't look in and say, okay, that was it. That's the mirror, and I walk away. But he says, on the other side of the coin, I look into it deeply, and what do I see? Not a law of legalism, do this and don't do that, but you see, I see a law of grace. I see a law of the gospel. I see that which brought freedom. And with that understanding, he says, there is a true release from sin and guilt and burden. What a blessing. He says, when you look into that law of liberty. This past August, on one of the segments of the show, 60 Minutes, and, and if, if I'm not mistaken, that was a repeat show when I looked online, it seemed like that was the only one they mentioned. But in any case, it was a group uh, that was entitled Justice Defenders. Uh, Alexander McLean founded it, uh, came from England, and he found going into Kenya that there were uh, 
what was the percentage? 80% of the inmates in Kenya had never been represented by a lawyer. In prison. Right or wrong, 80% never had. So he was there assisting them and getting them uh, some justice, and justice defenders now have worked in 55 prisons in Kenya, Uganda, and Gambia. He gives legal training to hundreds who are able to learn, and then he also has helped many of them uh, get out of prison because many of these have been in there without even ever having gone to court. But the thing I found most exciting was listening to the testimonies of those who are studying law. Here's a law in Kenya that had, had put them in jail, and they didn't know the law. They didn't know the idiosyncrasies. They didn't know their rights. They didn't know their privileges. And he says, I'm here not only to assist them in the legal sense, but to give them the tools that they might learn. And some of them were even guilty, and yet they studied the law with great interest, great zeal. They're in the classrooms, and, and we think of them as just poor, ignorant people, but they, they were eating it up. And I found it, I found it thrilling to see how once they obtained the principle of knowing that the law was there to assist them, to guide them, to set them free, that they wanted more. They wanted more, and they wanted more. Whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. James says, the one who looks in not only obtains the blessing of of the, the, the law of grace, but the gospel that is there, but he wants more and more and more. And, and as, we, as we open up, all of a sudden we find this passage and this passage and this passage. You know, you memorize one here and you find this life of David or you, you, you study this passage here and you understand James, you know, you understand what the law is and you understand these things of the future and of the past. And, and all of a sudden you start to say, I, I, I want more. A hungering and a thirsting for righteousness. Here's a listener who hears and absorbs God's word, taking it into his heart and letting the word change him. Having been released from the prison house of sin, no longer burdened by that, he says, I want to know more how I got out. And, and, and I want to know more why. And I want to know more how I can take this truth to others. That person wants to receive from God. That person does what God says. That's the beauty of what James is presenting. Remember, he's talking to Christians of a Jewish nature who were bound by a law that was of strictness where there was no understanding of real grace, but now Christ has come along and set them free. And he says, I want you to know more about this gospel. John 14, 15, our Lord says, If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. What a relationship. Same chapter, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Verse 23. If a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him. A relationship between truth the words of truth, the value of what those words mean, and keeping them, obeying them, hearing and doing. And again, I'm not doing it. 
I, I'm not bound by it because somebody's standing over me, but because within my heart, I've been set free from that which kept me from learning, and now I have the joy of learning it because I love him, and he loves me. Take a look at the end of verse 25, where it says that this man is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. If I'm listening, taking in the word with a desire to learn from it, the desire to grow in it and applying it, what's my reward? Where's the profit? What do I get from it? When we hear the word blessing, sometimes we think, you know, oh, that extra check came in the mail. What a blessing, you know? Sometimes we talk about blessings in, in just kind of spurious terms. We don't really understand it. This man is blessed in his deed because of the act of keeping the law, obeying what the word says. And in the very act of doing it, there's blessing. All of a sudden, all of a sudden his, his conscience is free. His heart is lifted up. There's a joy when all around there seems to be absolute woe bedlam. Why are you so calm? Because I have the grace that God has given me, and I'm blessed in that particular deed. We lost one of our brothers in Christ uh, Saturday after Thanksgiving it was. Uh, he had been ill for some time. He was 74 and, and um, had some real serious heart issues, um, uh, ended up with kidney failure, heart failure, uh, some other things that went on, you know. Uh, really just a, a sweet, sweet man. Um, uh, his wife called, uh, I think it was Thursday or Friday, just happy to hear from her. And I says, how are you doing? And she said, you know, I've got a joy and a peace about this. I says, we were, we, we knew, and they have, uh, this family has had issues, problems within the family, the the, uh, the father's, the one son is named, same name as the father, and the son was a troublesome kid. He says, I've had police come into my door ready to arrest me. <laughs> I had to convince them, no, it's not me, it's my son, you know. And I mean, just trial after trial after trial, but all of these things working their way out. And, and, and she says, you know, I've got such a peace I went into this, and, and my husband knew he was going. We all knew that this was going to take place. And it wasn't a burden. It wasn't a trouble. It was just, it was just a peace. And he says, this man shall be blessed in his deed by a submission of truth to my soul, to the hands of God. God gives that. Are you crazy? You know? No. This is what Christ has provided. Listen to the psalmist, and I can't help but think here that James had a copy of, of this psalm open, Psalm 19, as he writes this letter. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, 
enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey of the honeycomb. Then verse 11, moreover, in other words, to top it all off, the, the cream, the cream, you know, he says, moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Was the psalmist talking about buckets of gold and silver? No. When we talk about blessing, he says there is reward in being obedient to the word. There's, it, it provides me with so much, but there's there's benefits that go beyond the obvious. Gold and silver, fine gold, he says. Even gold that's been refined and refined and refined and refined to where it's a place of, oh, wow, this is the purest of pure gold. Valued above everything else. He says, how can, how can God's commandments be above that? Because God's word does more than gold could ever. Than, the, than, than all of the, the, the things of this world that are there. I trust you're not tired of Pastor Coleman's pounding the pulpit upon the importance of God's word. You know, we've gone through these past three sections, especially when he's talked about the word. But how else will we know about our God and how else will we know what our God requires of us? chalk it off, you know, we got that one done, we got that one. No, it's, it just goes again and again and again and again and again. It has nothing to do with how I feel or how I've been raised or what my government tells me to believe or not to believe because this is our only rule of faith and practice. I fall back on it. What does God's word say? How does it apply in this particular situation? And there are some things that we can we can say, we agree to disagree. You know, this isn't a major thing. But when it comes to key issues about obedience to God and, and disobedience to God, I've got to follow on his side. And it may not be popular. It may not seem to be the right thing. But I have to say, this is what brings me through. Without it, we don't have a leg to stand on. One closing passage, and, and again in reference to this picture of a mirror, looking into it. You know, in, in those days that of, of the New Testament times, it was um, uh, you know, a polished piece of brass or something like that, not a mirror as we see it. But author of Hebrews says, for the word of God is quick, meaning it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, the Roman sword was not a big one. The Roman sword was yay big, and it was sharp on both sides. So when they got up in that close fighting, they had those big shields, and they would just poke it in. Either way they go, it cuts. And, and the word of God, piercing to the dividing asunder, opening up of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And it is a discerner, of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's word cuts me open and causes me to see myself as I really am. My thoughts and my intents. 
I can, I can put on a big show and you say, boy, that sounded great and boy, that looks great. But you don't know my intentions. You don't know my thoughts. And yet, God's word does. He says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest or not displayed in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Yee, yee. You know, the crimes that are committed in the dark. Now there seems to be more crimes committed in the daytime, you know. It doesn't matter anymore, you know. But the fact of the matter is, God sees it all. And with that knowledge, his grace has given us a word that grants us not only an assurance of our relationship with him and freedom, but it's given me that which I can live by. Why do I forget it? Why do I ignore it? Now, practically speaking, we don't, we don't achieve all at the same level. You know. We don't uh, used to be able to memorize a lot <laughs> more than I used to. You know. so the filing cabinets, drawers are a little bit more stuck up there. You know. But the application of God's word, the spirit of God takes those things and you pray. He says, God, help me to take a little bit more and a little bit more. Help me to understand this day by day. Because it is his word that we might feed on it. Be doers of the word and not just a hearer. Because if you are just a hearer, you're only deceiving yourselves. Be a hearer of the word. Enter into this word of God and allow it to bring freedom and peace and release to your hearts through Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the value of this instrument that we've commonly uh, called our Bibles, um, that which we take around with us, or that which we've um, found to be interesting reading, speaks of history and speaks of men and women of a long time ago. Um, It not always brings clarity to my mind because there are things that are hard to understand. Yet there are things in there that I am able to hold on to that are beautiful. And for those who have known Jesus Christ as their Savior, this word became an entrance into heaven. It allowed us to see what a lovely Savior that we have. That before the foundation of the world, we were tagged, we were numbered amongst the children of God. And at a specific time in history, you called us to yourself, and we recognize that. And we have the peace knowing that one day, whether in the taking up of the saints, or the day that we close our eyes in death, we will open them instantaneously in glory. And we will see Jesus and all the saints who have gone on before. Your word says so. Father, cause us to be people who are hearers of the word, diligently searching, digging in and receiving it, and then, as your spirit allows, that we become doers, appliers of this, your word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.